Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. I am so glad you decided to worship with us today. And it's a good day around here. We're looking forward to the Family Fall Festival tonight. And uh, you may have heard we're moving that inside, which is a good decision by Jimmy and the Next Gen team. It's going to be a lot, fun, a lot of fun. Um, but I'm also really excited about today, right now. Uh, looking at 2 Peter, we're wrapping up this series. And, you know, 2 Peter is one of those books in the Bible, as you read it, at first you're like, this is weird. Uh, but then, once you dig into it, you're like, no, this is awesome. And that's happened to me so many times with the Bible. You might read a passage and say, well, this is boring or this is kind of disturbing. But when you dig into it, you find out, wow, this is awesome. And today, I want to begin with some really good news. Uh, right smack in the middle of 2 Peter chapter 3, you will find one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I want to go ahead and read that for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let's read this together. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know why I love this verse? This verse is a window into God's heart. You ever wonder what God thinks of you? This is it right here. God wants everyone, including you, to come to repentance if you have not done that already. And, and what does that mean? Well, repentance is a two-step process. Step one, you turn away from your old life. You stop doing whatever you feel like doing. And step two, you run to God. You, you put your life in his hands. And so uh, you turn away from your old life. You run to him. And there's a, an implication there, isn't there? Why would God want everyone to come to repentance? When you run to him, you are with him. And that's what he wants. He wants all of us to be with him, not just today, but forever. And why does God want that? He wants to be with you because he loves you. He loves you with a love that is greater than anything you can imagine. But it's not just you, is it? God loves all of humanity with that same perfect love. Every person he ever created, every human being throughout history, God loves all of us. He wants all of us to be with him. And that is very, very good news. And right now, we need some good news, don't we? We, we look for good news because we are surrounded by bad news. You see it in Israel and Gaza. You see it in Lewiston, Maine. You may even see it in your own life right now. You may see it in your own family. And... Uh, I'll be up front with you, here in 2 Peter 3, we do have some bad news. This, this passage gets a little dark in some places, uh, but none of the bad news cancels out the good news that we just saw here in 2 Peter 3, 9. So remember that. Keep that in the back of your mind. Now, if you haven't heard the first two sermons in this series, I really encourage you to go back and listen because uh, those first sermons lay the foundation for what we're talking about today. And by the way, I want to thank David for preaching last week. He did a great job, and he set us up well for the conclusion of this series. Now, the title of today's sermon is Look Ahead with Patience. And in this sermon, we're going to wrestle a little bit with the concept of time. 
Now, as we get started, I, I have kind of a weird question for you. Are you ready? Here's my question. Is time fast or is it slow? Is time fast or slow? If I gave you a few minutes to think about that, I'm, I'm guessing we'd all come to the same conclusion. We'd all have the same answer. The answer is, well, it depends, doesn't it? Because in some cases, time feels very slow. For example, if you've ever been on a road trip with kids, there's a question that you may have heard again and again. You know what it is? What is it? Are we there yet? Yeah. And because when you're a kid sitting in the backseat of the minivan, time just seems to crawl. But there's a, another time uh, things, this passage of time feels slow. Uh, here's a different question. How long, O oh Lord? That's a quote from Psalm 13. And most of us can relate to that feeling. Because uh, when we go through trials and tribulations, we just want to fast forward, get to that place where things are better. And while we're waiting for things to get better, time feels slow. But there are other times uh, where time feels quick, right? Uh, there's a saying that we've all heard, time flies when you're, what, having fun. We've all experienced that. But then uh, there's another thing I've noticed, especially recently, time seems to speed up as you grow older. Uh, yeah, for instance, when I was a kid, waiting like Christmas, or waiting for Christmas, that, that felt like forever. But today, I feel like we just took the tree down, and all of a sudden, it's almost time to put it back up again. In the end, this, this whole question, it's a matter of perspective. From the perspective of a child, it takes a long time to grow up. For the parent, though, it feels like those years just fly by, especially when you're looking back. The reality is, time just keeps trucking along at the same speed. The rate doesn't change. The hours, the days, the years, it's consistent. It's our perspective that changes. Now think about this. If human beings can have different perceptions of time, how about the difference between us and God? How does God's perception of time compare to ours? Well, as we're about to see here in 2 Peter, there is a massive, colossal gap between our perspective and his perspective. So let's get into this passage. Uh, you might remember that 2 Peter is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Peter, written to a group of Christians. And Peter is at the end of his life here. He wants to share a few final words before he dies. And so he encourages followers of Jesus to keep the faith and live in a way that honors God. And this is how Peter starts this final chapter. He says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. And I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, this is, this is interesting. Uh, Peter tells his readers to remember the words of the holy prophets. And where would we find those words? The words of the holy prophets are in Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament. Peter also tells his readers to remember the words of Jesus, the teaching of the apostles. So where do we find those words? Again, we find them in Scripture, specifically in the New Testament. So here's what this means for us today. 
Peter tells us to take in a steady diet of God's word. We need to hear the truth, and we also need to be reminded of the truth. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. So Peter goes on. Uh, In verse 3, he says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Now, there are a couple things we need to be clear on here. Uh, First, Peter mentions the last days. What is he talking about? Well, according to many Bible scholars, the last days are not the final few days before the end of the world. That phrase, last days, refers to the longer period of history between the first coming of Christ, which has already happened, and the second coming of Christ, which hasn't happened yet. So that means, as Peter is writing this letter in the first century, he's already in the last days. It also means that today, we're still living in the last days. Why? Because time is relative. So then, Peter gives a warning. He says, in these last days, scoffers will come. And what will they be doing? They'll be scoffing, right? (laughs) And and that makes sense. Haters going to hate and scoffers going to scoff. That's what they do. And I love that Peter gives this warning. He says, guys, be ready. You're going to meet people who deny the truth of the gospel of Jesus. They're actually going to make a mockery of the gospel of Jesus. So Peter does his readers a favor here. He's helping them get ready for opposition. And uh, in the church today, I believe we need to do a better job of following Peter's example. And here's why I say that. Over my years in ministry, I've seen many people grow up in the church. They were taught the truth of God's word, and they believed that truth. But then later on, maybe in high school or in college, they encountered certain teachers or professors who scoffed at the truth. In the academic world, you can find intelligent articulate people who don't believe the Bible, and they kind of make fun of people who do believe. And man, if you're not prepared for that, it can rock your world. It can rock your faith. But as we see here in 2 Peter 3, this is nothing new. It's been happening since the first century. And Peter's like, don't be surprised when you meet these scoffers. Don't be intimidated. Just be ready. Be ready to stand firm on the truth that we know is true. Now, let's think about Peter's specific situation. Uh, Who were the scoffers of his day? Well, as we've seen in in the last couple of weeks, Peter is warning his readers about a group of false teachers who infiltrated the church. And these false teachers, they claimed to be Christians, but they were not living in a Christ-like way. They pursued money, and they pursued sex far more than they pursued God. They also taught things and believed things that were directly opposed to Scripture. So these false teachers were guilty of wrong behavior and wrong beliefs, and that's a dangerous combination. And based on what Peter tells us, it sounds like these false teachers, they're not true followers of Jesus. And that brings up a dilemma. 
How can you tell the difference between a real Christian and a fake Christian? Can you tell the difference? Well, to help answer that, I I think uh, it would be good to look at the chart that I shared uh, a couple weeks ago. This chart can help us identify a true follower of Jesus. And it, it can also help you know where you stand. Because sometimes, some of us are asking, man, am I a real Christian? Am I really forgiven? Or am I just fooling myself? Well, let's, let's check it out. Uh, like I said, I first saw this illustration from one of my seminary professors, Dr. Jack Cottrell. This chart is designed to measure your level of goodness over the course of your life from birth to death. Now, down at the bottom of that chart, all the way at the bottom, you are 0% good. You're 100% evil, the personification of evil. Up at the top, and you're practically perfect in every way. Now, there is a blue line on this chart. Uh, That blue line represents your behavior, your actions, your words, and even your thoughts. Now, the particular individual that we see here, that line of goodness, it's below the 50% mark. I think we could agree that is a failing grade. Unfortunately, though, the only way to get to God is to have a perfect grade, 100% good. And this is why we all found ourselves in big trouble. Because no one is perfect. We've all sinned. And because of our sin, we don't deserve to be with God. Our sin would compromise His perfection. So, we don't deserve to live in His presence. What we deserve is separation from God. Eternal separation. Eternal death. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus went to the cross and He paid the penalty for our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved. And on the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven. And he offers this forgiveness as a gift, a free gift. Ephesians 2 says we're saved by grace. The word means a gift that we don't deserve. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is believing in Jesus and putting your trust in him, putting your life in his hands. Faith is the way we receive this gift. And in the New Testament, when someone puts their faith in Jesus, we see several things. Uh, One thing, you, you see that person repent. We talked about this. That's turning away from your old life and running to God. You also see that person confess or declare that Jesus is now Lord and master of my life. He's running the show, not me. And then you you see that person is baptized into Christ. They die to their old life, they're buried in the water, and they rise up to live a new life. And man, this gets exciting, because look what happens. Now we have a new line. That red line represents your level of forgiveness. And when you give your life to Jesus, you are no longer condemned because his sacrifice covers the penalty for your sin. So this person here went immediately from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven, which is awesome. But let's look at that blue line. Uh, Remember, that blue line represents a person's actual behavior. This is how they're living. And and what do we see here? Well, that blue line didn't jump straight to 100%, did it? No, it's... 
It's generally moving upward, closer to that level of Christ-like perfection, but man, uh, it's a process. That process takes time, and we all have a lot of growing to do, even the best of us. Then, of course, we'd, we'd love for that line to be perfectly straight, straight up and to the right, but that's not the reality. Uh, we all have occasional peaks and occasional dips. You may have experienced both of those this week. But we should be clear, a person with genuine faith will be growing. They'll grow to be more like Jesus over time. And we have to work hard to see that growth. But remember, the power to grow comes from the Holy Spirit. So I want to make sure we we notice one of the most exciting things about this chart. Uh, Over time, as that blue line goes up and down, but generally up, what's happening with the red line? It's not going up and down, is it? It stays right there at 100% forgiven. I I love that. Do you see what that means? It means you don't have to go through life trying, striving, trying hard, but never quite sure that you've done enough, never quite sure that you're forgiven. It's like we read in Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you, God, for your grace. But let's get back to those false teachers. How could we use this chart to represent the life of a false teacher? Well, we need to go back to what David talked about last week. Uh, David read John chapter 1, verse 14, which tells us Jesus was full of both grace and truth. So, Jesus, he, he offered grace and forgiveness to anyone who was willing to accept it. Full of grace. But then he was also full of truth. He never watered down uh, the truth of God's word. He never lowered God's standard. Full of both. So what does it look like for us to be full of grace and truth? Well, if you're living in God's grace, you know, you are confident that you are forgiven despite the fact that you don't deserve it. And you also show that same kind of grace to others. And then if you're living in God's truth... You, you believe what he says in his word, and you do what he tells you to do. And again, nobody's perfect. No Christian is full of grace and full of truth completely. But we need to know there is such a thing as a fake Christian. Last Sunday, David talked about someone who is full of truth but very low on grace. That's called legalism. And the Pharisees are really good examples of this. Um, Many of the Pharisees were, in fact, false teachers. And here's what that looks like on our chart. Most of the Pharisees had this imaginary dotted line that's way up there at the top. It's imaginary because that's how they saw themselves. They saw themselves as good, righteous, upright. They looked down on other people. But all of that was just an illusion. Because look at the blue line. That's what was real on the inside. Those Pharisees were corrupt, and they were full of pride. And the sin of pride is a lot more serious than we usually tend to think. Now, back in 2 Peter, we have a different scenario. Peter's talking about teachers who are full of grace, but very low on truth. 
These guys, they gave themselves all kinds of freedom to do what they felt like doing, to pursue sinful desires, pursue sinful appetites. After all, God is a forgiving God, right? So they were like, hey, this is great. I I can bounce around at the bottom of the chart. I can just ignore the sin in my life. But that's not how it works. Remember, Jesus was full of both grace and truth. That mindset is called hedonism, kind of living for pleasure, living for your own desires. And if you have genuinely put your faith in Jesus, yes, you're going to rest in God's grace. You're not going to be stressed about that. You can know that you're forgiven. But if you have genuinely put your faith in Jesus, you will be serious about living according to God's truth. You will work hard to kill the sin in your life with the help of the Holy Spirit. But whenever you see someone who is perfectly content to just keep on sinning, you have good reason to doubt whether that person ever really put their faith in Christ. And that's where we are here in 2 Peter 3. These are false teachers. They're fake Christians. And what were these guys actually teaching? Well, in in verse 4, Peter says, these scoffers, they will say, where is this coming Jesus promised? Because ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Okay, so what's this about? Well, these false teachers, uh, they decided Jesus is not coming back. They decided there's, there's not going to be a judgment day. And of course, that belief was very convenient. You can see why, right? If Jesus doesn't return, if God doesn't confront sin and hold us accountable, you can live however you want. That fits in perfectly with that hedonistic lifestyle. No accountability is like all grace, no truth. The only problem is that belief, that mindset, it's a total lie. And in the next few verses, uh, Peter helps us separate the truth from the lies. In verse 5, he says, yeah, sure, these guys deny the second coming. They deny that the judgment day will be here. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens and the earth, uh, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So, this is a brief history lesson. Remember, Peter said, I want you to remember the words of the holy prophets. And what do we learn in Scripture? He said, go back and look at what God did at creation. God made everything out of nothing. Before God spoke, the universe didn't exist. But as soon as he said the word, everything came into being. Peter also talked about uh, the time of the great flood, Noah's day. And that was when all of humanity had rebelled against God, turned away from him, with the exception of Noah and his family. But again, with one word, God, he sent the flood to punish evil and destroy almost all of the world at that time. So Peter uses these two examples to say, look, God has proven 
that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And when he makes a promise, you better pay attention. He promised that one day he will bring an end to this world once and for all. And make no mistake, he will keep his promise. That day is coming. But back to the uh, Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, there is a lot of talk about the day of the Lord. And that phrase can have different meanings, um, but the primary meaning refers to what God will do at the end of time. And here's what you can expect at the day of the Lord. First, God will establish himself as the ultimate king once and for all. He will set up the final eternal version of his kingdom. But then uh, God will also deal with evil once and for all. This will be a day of reckoning. Uh, If you're a sinner who has not accepted God's offer of forgiveness and salvation, this will be a terrible day. All of the fakes will be exposed. Sinners will be held accountable. Finally, God will bring about a new and perfected world. This current stage of history will come to a close. This old world will pass away, and it will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth where God will live with his people forever. And this whole series of events will begin, it will be kicked off with the second coming of Jesus. And of course, that's exactly what the false teachers were scoffing at. They said, man, we thought Jesus was supposed to be back by now. Looks like he's not coming. But right here, Peter brings up the concept of time. And he reminds us that our perspective on time is very different than God's. Look at verse 8. Peter says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. Now, this is a famous quote. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Think about God's perspective, the perspective of eternity. Uh, From from where he is, a thousand years is almost nothing. Uh, Using the formula of this verse, Jesus left this world and he returned to heaven. How long ago? About two days ago. (laughs) So uh, that means uh, we shouldn't say that Jesus has been slow to return because we don't know what we're talking about. But then there's the other phrase in this verse. It says, a thousand years are like a day. Understand that. But it also says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. How does that make sense? Well, we're getting into crazy territory here. It's a little uh, speculation, but we're going to give it a shot. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, we see that God existed before the beginning of time itself. And if God existed before time, it's logical to believe that he created our time, our sense of time. And if God created time, is it possible that he experiences time in a very different way? Is it possible that he's not locked into this present moment like we are? To be honest, I don't know, but it's kind of fun to think about. Because if God isn't stuck on the timeline of history, it opens up all kinds of possibilities. For example, uh, we could see how God hears and answers billions of prayers in the same moment. 
We could see how even though you are just one out of eight billion people, you can have God's full attention. Why? Because he has all the time in the world. It's pretty crazy. In the end, uh, we just need to admit that our perspective is limited, and we need to be humble before God. We can't say that Jesus is early or late. Then in the next verse, Peter gives us that amazing news. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So first, God is not being slow. But second, God has a reason for waiting. And the reason is enough to blow your mind. God is delaying the end of the world because He loves us. All of us. He wants everyone to have the opportunity to experience His grace now, some people interpret this verse a little differently. Some people believe God has chosen a select few to be saved, and everybody else is out of luck. But the message of this verse is pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, you, could, you could also look other places in the Bible, verses like 1 Timothy 2, 4, where Paul says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. If you ask me, that's pretty straightforward. But then you could even look at John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world. It's not talking about rocks and dirt and mountains. It's people. Not a subsection of the population. Not a select few. God loved the whole world. All of us. And that's why he sent Jesus. He, he wants everyone to experience his mercy and grace. But we've got to come to terms with the bad news. Not everyone accepts God's offer. Many people, like those false teachers, are too wrapped up in themselves to surrender their life to Jesus. And Peter says, don't make that terrible mistake. Because here's what's coming. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Again, look at history. God created the world. He can do whatever he wants. He will bring an end to this world, just like he said he would. Even though it seems like things are going on like they have been since the beginning of creation. So here's one big takeaway from this chapter. Be ready for the day of the Lord. That day is coming. And Jesus made it possible for you to be ready. So if, you, if, if you've been dragging your feet, don't let another day go by before you turn to God. This is not just about life and death. It's about eternal life and eternal death. We need to take this seriously. We also need to remember the good news. Now, that's one big takeaway, uh, but then Peter has a word for those of us who are ready for the day of the Lord. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. For those of us who are ready for the day of the Lord, 
God has not called us to sit around and wait. Peter says, between now and then, man, spend your days well. Don't waste your life. It reminds me of the blue line of that chart, that blue line that really needs to be moving toward Christ-likeness, being more like Jesus. And yeah, we're still going to struggle with sin. And no, we will never be perfect in this lifetime. But do you remember what Peter said back in chapter 1? He said, after you put your faith in Jesus, make every effort, it's hard work, make every effort to add goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. You're not on your own. The Holy Spirit will help you do that, but you need to work. And over time, a genuine follower of Jesus will grow in these areas. As I looked at this chart over the past week, I got to thinking about the space between now, our present day, and the end, the day of the Lord. We've all got to answer this question. As of this moment, we all have at least a little time left, but the question is, how will we spend that time? As Peter said, we ought to live holy and godly lives, just get better and better at loving God and loving people. But he also mentioned something fascinating at the end. Did you catch it? He said, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to, anticipate the day of God, and speed its coming. Okay, look forward to the day of God. I get that. But how can we speed its coming? How could we do anything that would bring, back, bring Jesus back sooner? Well, we can see a few possibilities in Scripture. For one thing, Jesus gave us a task to accomplish. He told his followers to, to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. And that word nations doesn't refer to political countries. Uh, the, the word refers to uh, ethnic people groups. The, the Greek word is ethne, so that's what it's talking about. And one estimate says in the world today there are about 3,000 ethnic people groups who, with very few, if any, followers of Christ. So we still have a lot of work to do. And God wants to partner with His church to complete that task. And He's patiently waiting until the task is complete. There's one more way we could speed the day of the Lord. We can pray. Do you remember what Jesus told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. We can pray, Lord, please come restore this broken world. Please make it new. We know that God answers prayers. We know there are certain things God will do only when we pray. So let's take this opportunity right now. Let's go to God right now and pray. Pray with me. Father, we look to you with humility. We know that our perspective is so limited. And Lord, we, we do look forward to that day when you make everything new. Lord, we also, at the same time, we need to be patient because you are patient, wanting everyone to come to repentance. But Lord... We can't help but long for that, that time and that place where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
And Lord, we do pray that you would bring that about. We pray your kingdom come. And Lord, help us to, to speed that coming. Help us to live holy and godly lives. Help us to be ready for the day of the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.